You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. First, I want to tell you about um, how I spent some more time at 5904-08 Germantown Avenue this week. This is the building um, that we're under contract to buy. And uh, for as many times as I've been in there, this this was the first time that I've gotten to see the whole building. The owner is not particularly um, cooperative. And when we've gone there for our scheduled appointments, there's always some excuse about why we can't get into part of it. So here's a picture. If you haven't driven by yet... Um, the, the one area that we hadn't seen yet was the back half of the second floor. And it looked like a, uh, locked safe in the wall. You can see that black door right there. It looked like a locked safe, but after Aaron Dahlstrom did some research for us, we discovered that it is a fur vault. Yes, there, you heard me right. There is, there is a company name on that door. Um, so Aaron went digging around to find out that they were the leading producer for climate controlled vaults in which you could store your valuable furs in the off season for proper preservation. Who knew? Has anyone ever heard of this before? I never, I never even considered this, much less the fact that there would be a market for it. Um, so this vault was locked, and uh, behind this special fire-rated wall, um, the owner said it hadn't been opened for years, probably decades. He didn't even know the combination for the lock. So finally, though, he got it opened, and we walked through uh, this week. So I, I duck, of course, this is where I wanted to go first when we got in there. Rebecca was with me. There was a, there was a crew of people. We had inspections done. So there was a building inspector and a, uh, environmental inspector. But we headed upstairs to the vault. And so I ducked inside that door and, um, into this cavernous brick room with rows and rows of metal racks that extended high up to the ceiling. There were, there were no furs. Uh, there were some clothes, however, and the first thing that I noticed was that the air was thick with humidity and mold. There are, there are no windows in this uh, climate-controlled vault, and the ventilation hadn't been used in decades. So this, this once temperature-controlled, humidity-controlled vault room um, had been sealed up, it became stagnant and a very stuffy container. And it's very dark, and my phone flashlight was only dimly lighting the way. But we made our way to the second room. It was deeper than we even expected. And there was this elevation change, so there's a couple steps down leading into the second room. And it was deeper and higher and more cavernous than the first room. 
and more of these same racks. So we could see that somewhere along the way, the roof in the back had deteriorated and the ceiling was coming down and there was a lot of moisture in the air. It, it only took a few minutes of being in there that I just wanted to like break out of the brick wall um, and get some air moving in there. So this building, this part of the building is over there, as you can see. Uh, it sits alone. So on one side is the parking lot, on the other side is this green space. And the room took up that whole width on the second floor. Um, so there was only, uh, there's nothing between us and this, uh, the, excuse me, there's only this brick wall, right, between us and this beautiful sunshine and the fresh air outside. And uh, I stood there imagining windows on both sides, maybe even in the back, and all the light that could get in and the fresh air that could flow through. And I was wondering, of course, what would this room be if we owned this building? And Rebecca and I were standing there talking, but I finally said, let's step back out to where we can breathe. Because this the stale air was like choking off my lungs. So to give you a sense of the design of this vault, here are some documents. Aaron found the patent for this particular vault dated in 1952. Maybe not this specific vault, but this, this company's patent for this vault. The and a detailed description of how it worked. And there were drawings of the compressor unit and the ventilation system that would keep the temperature at this steady, low humidity level year round in order to preserve your valuable furs. Uh, all of that, all that space in that building was dedicated to these furs, which I imagine were otherwise subject to moths or decay or bed bugs, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but what stayed with me was that for all the design and intention of this thing, the vault remained locked and self-contained and unused, which, of course, led to the opposite effect from what it was intended. Instead of preserving an environment conducive for valuables, it became stale and decay set in, because it was not used or maintained. So I'm going to get to Palm Sunday in a minute, I promise. Just stay with me. Um, I think if we don't keep working with our, through our faith all the time, in every situation, in every stage of our lives, in every moment that we're in, it becomes like a locked up vault. The air gets stale. And what was valuable in the past just sits there. And if we just try to preserve it, it might lose its value. There's no automatic system for our relationship with Jesus or the Bible that just runs on its own. We need to engage all the time, working through what God is saying to us in this moment, what it means to follow the way of Jesus now, who we are as a particular people. Our faith is just, if our faith is just about doing the right thing dutifully and applying the Bible like it is rules to live by, the container can be suffocating. 
If we don't find ways to engage our heart, mind, soul, and strength to love the Lord and to follow Jesus, the, the leaking and the decay can set in even without us knowing it. So I start with this because I think the struggle is real. The opportunity for that is real because our lives can fill up, our routines set in, the crisis keep the crises keep coming and demanding more of our time and energy. And in the midst of that, my cell was just talking this week about how hard it is to read the Bible, for example. It's confusing. We fall asleep. We get angry at what we're reading. We feel like we need to know more than we do. We actually have to do it together. We, we feel like, uh, no, excuse me, and when, when we read about, uh, excuse me, when our cell read about Jesus in Gethsemane this week, it was, it was just like fresh air wafted in. There was these new insights and new perspective for how Jesus relates to us in our context. And we lived it by relating to each other in our own hours of grief in that moment. Jesus knew scripture too, and he was making something new with it. He wasn't locked up by it. He was living it and breathing it. It was flowing out of his mouth like fresh air. He is the living word. So when we relate to scripture, we're relating to it through him. He's the center of how we understand everything in the Bible. As he revealed himself throughout his ministry, he was the light breaking in to this rigid, controlled systems of belief and law. He is bringing something fresh that God is doing and and breaking through to bring himself to humankind. And the most valuable thing, our relationship with God and God's relationship to us, is not a thing that's designed to run on its own. No matter how well our belief system is built, it will go stale without relating to the living word and the spirit of God flowing through us. So all of this is context for that brings us to the beginning of Holy Week, Palm Sunday. It's an opportunity to relate to Jesus, to the scripture, in a new way. And it's not locked up into old ways of the past. We're, we're moving with what the Spirit is doing now through Jesus in us. And today is this dramatic revelation of Jesus in Jerusalem, his self-exposure as the Messiah, the long-awaited King of Israel. And we'll see that he breaks open the whole religious system and turns things upside down. So we're going to read this story together, and we're going to try to get into the drama of it. So I need a lot of readers. Um, Who will be Jesus? Thank you, Mary. All right. Um, Who will be the voice of Scripture? I'm going to say let's have like three of us do this. All right, somebody else join Aaliyah. We need two more people. Sarah, thank you. Phil, good. You guys are the voice of scripture. Um, 
And then I'm just going to say this whole half of the room, you guys will be the crowds, okay? You're going to read together as the crowd. And who will be the Pharisees? Thank you. We need somebody else with Megan. She can't be alone. Good. All right, three of you. Great. Okay. Try to remember what you, who you are, what you're reading. I'm not even going to tell you all the different colors because there's a lot of colors I put up here. But hopefully we can follow along. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read everything in white as the narrator. Okay, here we go. As they approached Jerusalem, this is, com- excuse me, this is uh, coming from Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by them. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Excellent crowd. When Jesus entered... (laughs) Get ready, there's another part. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Everyone saw wonderful things he did, and the children shouted in the temple courts. I didn't ask for children. Do we have... But when the chief priests and teachers of the law heard this, they were indignant. I didn't ask for a priest either. I am so sorry. And he left them and went out to the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. You guys did better than I did. Thank you. Well done. Yes. (laughs) Maybe I should practice doing that more. Okay, so Jesus is putting on... Whoops. Not ready for that. Robbie's got it. Jesus is putting on a big show here. 
He's doing a lot of stuff on purpose to finally reveal himself to everybody. For the longest time leading up to this moment, he's been quiet about being the Messiah because he knew that it would get him killed and the time wasn't right. But now that he's in Jerusalem, he can show himself to the powers. He is intention, he intentionally gets a donkey and a foal to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah or from Zechariah. And this isn't some like vague, um, prophecy on a dusty scroll. This is a, a highly anticipated political symbol that everyone would have recognized is a royal processional. And it's, we call this Palm Sunday because John in his gospel specified that the branches that people cut were palms. And in ancient Mediterranean world, palms were a symbol of victory. It was, it was not that far off from this moment in history that palms were used to symbolize the autonomous rule in Israel. So when Israel had been a sovereign state, palms were on their coins proclaiming their sovereignty. And then since then, the Romans took over and ruled by a Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and Herod, King Herod. So the palms that Jesus' followers were waving were loaded with expectation and have this revolutionary meaning. People were eagerly awaiting the celebration of a righteous king. And Jesus fit the prophecy. So they are ready to have this big celebration and led by people who had followed Jesus all the way from Galilee. But Jesus had a very different plan that makes that takes most of his followers by surprise. Who he really is is different than the one that they've been waiting for. Even his 12 disciples that had, you know, been in his inner circle for 3 years don't totally get it. They're holding on to their own idea of who they thought Jesus would be, even though he's right there in front of them. Just because, or just before this, in the chapter, previous chapter in Matthew's gospel, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, ask if they can sit at his right hand and his left when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus' response is to ask them if they can drink that cup because he sees that this is where it's all leading. They don't get it. They say, we can drink the cup. And later that week, they desert, desert him. But essentially, what they were asking Jesus is, can we be crucified on your right and your left? They don't, they don't know that that's the way of Jesus into his kingdom. They have expectations for what he's going to do that he's not going to meet. And they have expectations of themselves that they are not going to meet either. They are preserving their precious hope for a, politi a political ruler who will reign in power. They're preserving their hope for liberation in a very particular form. That's what they want to participate in. They don't know that Jesus is going to fulfill all those prophecies for this Messiah, but in an upside-down way. That what they wanted was the for the Roman oppressors to be crushed. And Jesus didn't have an army, but he did raise that guy from the dead, 
So maybe God will miraculously destroy the occupiers. They wanted justice, so Jesus would um, topple the economic system and establish a new order. Jesus did cause trouble in the temple by making this scene, knocking over the tables, driving people out. So I imagine that they were thinking, what, like, what's next? Because after he did that, he left. Jesus' plan is to die. His plan is to lay down his life for the forgiveness of sins. His plan is to defeat sin and death by undoing it, exposing it, exhausting it. And this is not what they were looking for. It's usually not the way that we want to follow either. We're going to sing a song in a little bit. Um, that's a, a lament. It's a lament that captures a confession of how we miss it when we make Jesus into who we want him to be. We might even just be preserving its old version of Jesus and our faith that some stage of our past from some stage of our past, instead of following him into the new thing that he's doing right now. This song helps us to identify with Peter and James and John for just not getting it. Let's look at the words together before we sing it. Forgive our eyes on us. Forgive our waving hands. It's like the crowd waving the palms, waving their hands, cheering for Jesus who they thought was going to do what they wanted him to do. Forgive our lack of love. Hosanna in the highest. And the next verse. Forgive our disbelief. Forgive our hardened hearts. Forgive our lack of love. Hosanna in the highest. Forgive this cursing hour. Forgive our downturned heads. We move with the disciples to the moments of desertion when they leave or deny him. Forgive our weakness now. Hosanna in the highest. I love this song, partly because our friend Angie, who's a part of Circle of Hope, wrote it, but also because I think it's a perfect Palm Sunday song. You may be ready to be excited and to celebrate and to move out of Lent into Easter, out of the darkness and separation and grief and into victory. But we need to stay here with Jesus. Jesus stays with us. In fact, he goes farther than us to take on all the suffering and evil and sin that separates us from God. And I think Hosanna... Oh, Whoops. Hosanna is the perfect word for the tension of this day. You may know that Hosanna comes from the Greek meaning deliver us. So it's a cry for help. It's a recognition of our neediness, a plea. But it, it got preserved as a general word of praise. So it gets shouted as a victory word. 
and, and the neediness kind of gets covered over. The celebration part is correct. Jesus is the king, but not in the way that we want all the time. Not in the way that we know we need all the time. We are called to drink the cup that James and John asked for, but it's too much for us. Hosanna. We need more than a word of praise. We need Jesus to save us. We don't need that, that Lord save part of the word to get covered over. We need it to be front and center. Lord, save us. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're asking for. We just want some relief from someone who saves us from the mess that we're in, from the mess of ourselves even. We want relief maybe for our bodies, for our children, for our earth, for the most vulnerable in society, and for our weak selves. Lord, save us. Palm Sunday and Holy Week and all of Holy Week is an opportunity to take in the scripture again, to chew on it again in community, to embody the story as our own as we walk with Jesus in his last days. We gather every night this week in different locations around the city and South Jersey to move through what Jesus experienced, not just to remember, but to live it now. And and showing up is the point of those meetings. What we're doing is setting aside time to see Jesus and to be seen by Jesus. It's a chance to work out your faith in this moment. So I hope that you'll see what you can do and see what God will do. There's a new thing happening, and, and we are making it together. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.